You're listening to WXOJLP Northampton, and this is Care Talk with Quick and Quack, coming to you from our beautiful penthouse studio in Florence, Massachusetts. This is Doctors Evan Benjamin and Bill Cutler talking to you about health and health care. We'll be talking to each other with guests, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org. We'd love to hear your stories about health and navigating the healthcare system. Well, Bill, we're back for another great show. We're really excited. Today, we are interviewing a colleague of mine, Dr. Jeff Levenshers from the Harvard School of Public Health and Willis Towers Watson. Uh, Jeff is a fantastic observer of health and health care. And uh, we're going to be talking to him today about the potential use of AI, artificial intelligence, in health care. And in addition, we'll answer some of your emails. CareTalk at valleyfreeradio.org. So it should be a great show, Bill. Stick with us. Good day, everyone. You are listening to Care Talk with Quick and Quack on WXOJLP in Northampton. And we're really excited today to have a guest with us uh, in the studio. Uh, and uh, let me first introduce uh, uh, Dr. Jeff Levenshers. Dr. Levenshers is an assistant professor at uh, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Uh, and he's also an associate faculty uh, joining me at Ariadne Labs, where I've gotten to know Jeff. He is also the managing director and the population health leader of the North American Health and uh, Benefits uh, Travel uh, of uh, Willis Towers Watson. And uh, Jeff has his own uh, substack. And lately, he's been writing about all sorts of issues uh, about health and health care. But one that caught my attention that I thought we would talk about today, Jeff, is uh, AI in healthcare. AI. What's what's AI mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Jeff, welcome to uh, Care Talk with Quick and Quack. Uh, Evan and Bill, nice to, ni- 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 nice to join you here. Thanks very much. Nice meeting you, Jeff. So why don't we start, Jeff, with you know, just some thoughts. You know, everyone, AI is everywhere. I, I, you, left and right, everywhere I uh, go, I'm reading about AI. We're excited about it. We're fearful of it. Uh, let's just talk about maybe some of the aspects of AI in, in healthcare. And, and first of all, right now, how is AI even being used in healthcare? I mean, these are, these, these are good questions. For starters, as you said, a- AI is just uh, t- telling machines some information so it can make some decisions that previously you might have needed a human to make. And, uh, and, you know, most of us use AI every day when uh, when our word processing program is suggesting the next word or the next set of words. That's all artificial intelligence. I mean, there's nobody there's nobody sitting at some office in Google or Microsoft who's 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 saying, no, Jeff, spell it differently. But uh, it's it, it's rather uh, it's it's rather a machine that has that has learned. And uh, clearly um, we see that every day in our lives people have been using algorithms um, in medicine for uh, for eons and essentially an algorithm is machine learning I mean maybe there's no machine in it maybe you just uh, put the data into an algorithm and you calculate something yourself uh, but you know these have been useful they've made um, medical decision making simpler but just like with AI they've also potentially uh, created, uh, they've been designed using data that had structural racism incorporated into it. And so these sometimes can perpetuate or perpetuate or even exacerbate uh, disparities. I mean, for one thing, it's not like ChatGPT came on uh, came online in uh, in late 2022, and all of a sudden now there's artificial intelligence. We've had machine learning and neural networks and artificial intelligence really, really for a long time. And uh, um, you know, the difference is that is that is that the natural language processors have actually gotten dramatically better, and they've gotten dramatically better because they're trained on more and more data. So we're already seeing AI then used in healthcare from helping diagnoses. Uh, doctors can look things up uh, and have assistance. And there's already some some AI being used through our electronic uh, medical records. Share with uh, our audience where where currently uh, is being used that even doctors today are comfortable with it. Yeah, well, I, I, I I actually just like to clarify that question because I'm practicing medicine and and honestly I mean things happen on the computer and I don't always know like what is, where is this where, where when is artificial intelligence coming in and, and interplaying with what I'm doing so if you can help clarify that that'd be great it, it, it could range so for instance if you're using if you're using a dictation program that uh, to uh, to write your notes um, back in the day that would have been only five years ago that dictation you know, your dictation would probably have been sent to, you know, sent to a lower wage country where somebody who had training in medical, uh, in medical transcription and medical language would have, would have typed it out. And then it would have gotten, uh, you know, sent, 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 sent back and, uh, offered to you to to approve nowadays it's much more likely that it's going to be monitored by uh, you know monitored by AI which is going to transcribe probably with a higher degree of accu- of accuracy and certainly a lot more quickly and also much less you know much less expensively you know if you are uh, 
if you um, are in an intensive care unit and there are machines beeping, you know, there's a big problem that machines beep too often and uh, people, people get, uh, you know, people get fatigued from uh, all these, all these alerts. And so ideally there should be, uh, you know, there should be some sort of artificial intelligence in the background to be you know, some sort of rules. I mean, there's a rule. And I mean, basically there was, we're all getting older, but even when we were training, there were rules that, that said, when should things beep? These rules are increasingly automated and they can increasingly learn from, uh, learn from recent experience as opposed to having to be changed every two years or something or something like that. So it ends up improve, improving, quickening the, the improvement cycle. If you uh, if you send a request for a prior authorization to a health plan, um, there's a pretty good chance that uh, even if uh, there's a state law that says that any request that you make must be reviewed by a, a physician of the same specialty uh, something like that, there's a pretty good chance that the first the first pass of this is going through a set of a set an algorithm going through a set of rules, and uh, you know. I think that in general, one of the things we should know about about artificial intelligence is that is that it requires a human being to sort of figure out what the prompt should be, um, for especially for uh, for for natu- you know for you know for uh, for large language models, um, and it also requires a human to check and be sure it hasn't messed up. You know those health plans that might have an algorithm that decides whether to approve something or not they should actually have a human being looking at the denials to be sure that um, the denials aren't just loony, you know, because there might be some rules where, uh, you know, uh, some rules where a patient's actual situation doesn't fit within the rules. You know, again, thinking about large, you know, you know, large language processing, um, you know, that's uh, like ChatGPT, that's, um, you know, that's not magic or anything. That's just uh, a computer figuring out what the most likely next word is but uh, but we've seen instances where compute where you know an AI system like ChatGPT 3 or 4 will actually hallucinate for instance a medical reference or a literature reference so it's most it's 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 most likely that it's most likely that uh, that a certain two people will have written articles together, but that doesn't mean that an art, that a particular article was written by those two people right. in so, that so, so I, I have a question. Um, yeah. You know, I, I work now for the VA healthcare system. Um, one of the reasons I came to VA was because I was really uh, fed up with working with so many different health insurance entities and, and prior authorizations and different rules for this insurance company and that insurance company and figuring out what would happen, always a different process. In the VA, it's, it's, it's simplified a lot of that, and, I, and, and so I now sort of have one, one channel for, for getting prior authorizations for the most part. But I'm wondering if I was working in an environment with multiple different insurers and I was encountering prior authorizations that were in that automated system what the what the experience might be like for the practitioner entering into that system to you know where you're dealing with an artificial intelligence on the other end that has i guess some preconceived notions and might be different than a human being well for one thing um physicians don't like any kind of prior authorization ever um I, i think that there are some people who would say, "Well, you shouldn't be using AI in this. Should this, everything should be reviewed by a human being?" But if you think about how many vitamin D tests are ordered on people who are at no special risk for vitamin D deficiency, one of the most overused te- tests, 
I mean, you really, it's not practical. If you had to have a human being review each one of these, it would take forever to, to adjudicate each, uh, each request or to adjudicate each claim. And, uh, and so to some extent, one of the things as a practitioner that you might not notice about AI is it, does, it just does things very quickly. So there might be things where you feel there's a sense of urgency and you need an answer. You're going to get it much more quickly because an insurance company is using artificial intelligence to do it. Again, hopefully, they on the back end are looking over all of the all of the algorithmic denials and and reversing the ones that didn't that didn't make sense. You know, again, I don't think there's any doctor anywhere who said, please do prior authorization on me to second guess my uh, my decisions or uh, you know please make me feel less confident be- because you're uh, citing literature I didn't know about. No doctor wants that, but. Uh, um, you know, in the system we have, we'll probably have some of that. And so best to best to make it really efficient and also to make it not cost so much because we all we all would like more of the dollars spent on healthcare to be spent on the spent on the actual practice of healthcare and fewer of the dollars to be spent on the administration. So, you know, if we insist on human beings doing all of this stuff, it's gonna take a lot longer, probably not be more accurate, but uh, certainly be more expensive. Jeff, th- this is great. Let's why don't we do this? Let's uh, you know just qu- quick summary. So we're seeing AI already uh, in healthcare. Uh, it's affecting physicians with things like prior authorizations. It's affecting a little bit in terms of day to day care. So it's already there to some extent. Why don't we take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk more about perhaps the the potential uh, of of AI in, in healthcare. Went to my doctor yesterday. She said I seem to be okay She said Paul you better look around How long you think that you can run that body down How many nights you think that you can do what you've been
think that you can run that body down? How many nights you think that you can do what you've been Simon, run that body down. All right, we're back here with uh, Dr. Jeff Levin Schertz from uh, Harvard School of Public Health and Willis Towers Watson. And we're talking about AI in healthcare. So, Jeff, uh, well, let's pick things up where we were. We were chatting a little bit about how AI is already working in healthcare. Uh, it, I think doctors are just starting to get used to its, uh, its, its presence. I think people are really excited about where we're going to go, though. And, and will AI, will it be helpful and will it be harmful? What do you think the impact could be of AI on helping to improve healthcare delivery, either making it safer, making it more effective, more efficient? Well, for starters, um, doctors are subject to many cognitive biases. For instance, I'm most likely to diagnose something that some something in somebody just after I diagnosed it in somebody else. You know, I'm uh, once I once once a thought has crossed my mind, I tend to have confirmation bias, just like everybody else, and I I might miss some other things that if I just l listened a little harder might have actually helped me make a right diagnosis. One of the things that AI could conceivably do is really help us uh, expand our differential so that so that we won't miss. The, the diseases or the conditions or the diagnoses that we just didn't think of at first. I don't think that that means that we get a computer to diagnose us. I think it's more that the computer helps help help helps the physician. I think that there's some opportunity for decision support in general. That uh, oftentimes we're making very complex decisions with multiple different you know multiple different um, you know factors that weigh in on them. Have, having having a computer that can Get, tell us the relative likelihood of various different outcomes could actually help us make better decisions. Big opportunity in imaging. And so radiologists particularly, they're looking at a lot of x-rays, a lot of mammograms, a lot of PET scans, a lot of CTs uh, and MRIs. And they're looking at them over and over again. And frankly, it's sort of like those TSA agents looking looking for the guns in the uh, you know guns in the luggage over and over again, and there aren't many bad things. It, it it can be easy to miss things. So you know AI doesn't get tired, can work 24 hours a day. You know it, it can actually point to the places where a radiologist should look harder, and uh, and therefore again not that uh, not that we're ever going to have images read without radiologists, but we will have much better readings with AI, and the radiologist might actually be able to read more images an hour and do you know, do a good job. You know, one thing that's been talked about is that uh, drug development tends to be long, you know, take a long time and uh, using artificial intelligence, um, you know, the Google, uh, the Google AI is now able to uh, three dimensions show how proteins fold and things. We might actually be able to develop drugs that would fit into various, uh, you know, very various receptor sites much more quickly. 
I won't for a minute tell you that I think that means that drugs will be cheaper. I think there are other 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 things we could do other than AI that would make drugs cheaper, but I do think that we might see advances a little bit more quickly because of this. Great. I, I think that these, these are some of the exciting positive ideas that AI could help doctors in, in diagnosis, uh, could help us in, uh, in radiology and imaging, huge added value. A lot of us fear that, gee, the doctors are going to be out of the picture anymore, but I like the way you described it for both a diagnostic physician or a radiologist, they, they still need to be there. They still need to be entering the data, confirming what an AI is thinking. Uh, but the AI is just added tool to in the toolbox of diagnosis. Yeah, you know, to, to expound on that thought, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me is I'm sure I uh, engage in that bias that you were discussing where I'm, I'm more likely to diagnose the things that I'm used to diagnosing. And so having artificial intelligence to expand that differential diagnosis, if you will, to, to have me think of other things can can be a, a very beneficial thing for a patient that so that I don't miss something. On the other hand, it's also something that could greatly expand my use of testing. When artificial intelligence says like, well, you haven't thought of these other 12 diagnoses and, th and that implies doing doing further testing. And so I'm wondering if, if, that's, a, if that's a risk of, uh, of artificial intelligence. Potentially a risk. It all depends upon how you uh you know how how you how you set this up i think that we know that there's probably a lot of a lot of testing which is not especially evidence based right now and um i don't you know i think again the counterfactual of there being no ai doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of doctors doing a lot of tests that aren't especially well well thought out um either because um, the results wouldn't change how you treat people or because the result of the non-invasive test would not substantively change the pretest probability into a different post-test probability. So I, I think that you could actually use AI and use algorithms that were trained on real life data to actually, you know, to make testing more rational. But you're right. If it, if it was implemented badly, you could uh, you, you could potentially uh, have people do a whole lot more tests, spend a whole lot more money, and maybe nobody would be any healthier because of it. So right. it is all about health. Yeah, you know, because one of the other things I wonder about is that in healthcare. So I, I my background is mostly in primary care, although now I work in in pain management. But you know, in primary care, we have a lot of different different types of practitioners there. So we have we have. Uh, internists, we have uh, uh, physicians who are fam family family uh, medicine, we have nurse practitioners, we have physician assistants. So these are people who have different levels of training. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if, if there's the potential for artificial intelligence to be uh, rather than sort of a one-size-fits-all, that this, this, this is the artificial intelligence that's going to be interacting with all these different practitioners if, there, if there's a potential for a way to customize it so that different practitioners are getting different feedback and input that might be more tailored to their own training and, and other experiences. Sure, that make that makes sense. I mean, something we have to watch for, though, Bill, probably is that is that there is this natural thought amongst physicians that all physicians thought they were in the top quartile of their class, and right. all physicians absolutely, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I was definitely in the top quartile of my class. Right, exactly, and. Uh, 
everybody in my medical school class was in the top quartile and people think that the that their practice is better than everybody else's so i think the thing to guard against is to sort of say oh well the advanced practice clinician needs a lot of help from ai but but the physician oh the physician needs very little i think that you know realistically I, I, you know we all we all we all have our we all have our gaps we all we all we all can learn none of us have ingested you know, the entirety of the medical literature, none of us have memorized up to date. So I, I think that, yes, there. It, um, if an AI assistant just kept on telling you stuff you already knew, you would actually stop listening to it. So it needs to it needs to tell you things that are going to actually be genuinely helpful. Right. I, I, and, guess, what, I guess what I'm thinking more along the lines of when, when AI tells me something that I didn't know and hadn't thought of, you know, in the rush of a busy day, I would be thinking like, well, there's something I don't know anything about. I better test for that as well. Um, yep. As opposed to if it's something that, that I've actually learned about and know about, then I might be more, it might be easier for me to look at, to look at what AI is suggesting. And reject and, it. And, and reject it, it you yeah. know, and, and, and filter it so that, so that, that's really more my concern. Not, not, not so much that, that, it, you know, that, that I don't need to be told that. I feel like I do. You know, I see this in practice. Of, of, of no, I think it's a good point, Bill. In fact, I was playing with ChatGPT recently, and you could. I was at having it. I teach over at UMass, and I was having it write a paper to see if it could write a paper. Uh, and and I would say write the paper. You know, at the level of a freshman in college. And then I came back and said, now write the paper as a master's uh, public health level. And it, and it wrote it at a completely different level. And maybe it's the same thing if, if we're asking AI to help diagnostically with a physician versus a nurse practitioner, maybe it could learn and be different. I don't know. Might be different for a primary care doctor than an endocrinologist. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would, be, that would be important for me to, to, to know that. That yeah, like there there are things that I need that that I may not think of that an endocrinologist would think of for sure. That that's why I refer to endocrinologists. So okay. I I think this is great. And given, let's just take a a quick break here. We've really talked about potential potential uses, uh, and I think we're excited by it. Uh, but there's there's going to be some risks and downsides, and we'll come back and and chat about that. Dirty computer walking by. If you look closer, you'll recognize I'm not that special, I'm broken time Crashing slowly, the bugs are in me
that was Dirty Computer with Janelle Mo And so we are back here with Care Talk with Quick and Quack. And our guest today is Dr. Jeff Levinschers from the Harvard School of Public Health uh, and from Willis Towers Watson. And we're talking about AI in healthcare. So, Jeff, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, we've talked about AI, it, its current uses, it's sort of in its embryonic form. We've talked about potential uses. I think we should get into some of the risks and some of the fears that uh, people have, both both clinicians uh, as well as the public, about uh, using AI in healthcare. Uh, what do you think? You know, with any with any uh, with with anything that represents big new progress, absolutely there are there. You know, you you can climb higher on the mountain and you can fall down harder too. So I think the first big thing that people worry about with uh, large language models is just hallucination or confabulation, where if the machine is just uh, guessing based on probability, what's the next word? Sometimes the it'll just come up with something that's wacky. You know, a lot of the a lot of what humans need to do to be good at interacting with large language models is actually be much better at, at engineering prompts. You you can ask ChatGPT for a question and have it give you a very bad answer, but if you look back, if your question was just poorly phrased, or if the question just didn't provide enough inform enough information and context, you're more likely to get a bad answer. So, uh, so the first thing is maybe it's just wrong, and that's why you always need a good human to ask the question and a good human to like look at it and be sure it's not wrong. Um, I mentioned it before, but we really just need to emphasize that uh, that these models are trained on you know as much information as the uh, as the creators the creators of these models can get. Most of that information comes from this world, which has, which is just rife with structural racism. And uh, a good example um, is there was a there's a report about decision scientists um, at Duke who had come up with a uh, you know come up with an algorithm to identify which um, 12 month old kids should um, with high fevers should be hospitalized, get spinal taps, should really be fully evaluated for sepsis, and which which could go home to be monitored. Before they implemented it, they realized that um, that it was not picking up Hispanic kids very well. And uh, perhaps re relates to the fact that it was trained on all the data from that institution because of language, because of we don't know um, cultural issues. Maybe that in clinicians, that institution weren't really great at uh, um, at uh, at picking up the Hispanic kids that were at, high, at highest risk. But so they ended up going back and re-engineering it before they put it into place. But I think we should we should expect to see a lot of that. You know, we should we should be best be training it on data that doesn't have racism. But good luck finding that. So uh, yeah, so that, we have to watch hard for that. that. That's a real cautionary tale. So you know, if in fact the AI is learning off of our own experiences, and in this case, the experience was they tended not to admit uh, Hispanic children with fever, then the AI is is going to miss that as it puts it puts that in as a, a prediction or uh, a recommendation. That so that's really really fascinating. I think in a real cautionary tale. Um, hopefully over time this will no, Evan, we didn't it's not like we didn't have this problem before I mean we all know right. that uh, we all know that the algorithm not 
AI that we all use to calculate uh, kidney function had an adjustment for blacks, which basically meant that black people were much less likely to get higher on the list for kidney transplants. And uh, adjustment really, people who initially did it just sort of said, hmm, it looks like black people have you know, do do okay with worse kidney function. Therefore, maybe genetically they don't need as much kidney function. But, uh, you know, so again, we've always had these problems, but we can be explicit about them with AI and we should be trying to get rid of them whenever we can. Yeah. Well, the, I get the risk though is, yes, we've had these problems, but AI, if it's only basing its learning on these these past experiences, it's going to reinforce them. And so we have to be very cautious. And it's a black box. So that algorithm to um, to calculate kidney function, it was out there for everybody to see. It took some medical students to start making a fuss about it until we started getting rid of it. But it was there, you could see it. Whereas uh, it, within AI, the way this decision is being made using all the, inf all the information, it's opaque. And uh, so it might be hard. It might be harder, harder to find. You know, I, I have another question about about AI and its impacts on healthcare. And I'm, I'm sort of wondering if if there are ways that we might be able to foresee of how this may alter our systems of care. And I'm, I'm thinking about in recent decades, the, we've had advances in imaging technology, CAT scans, and then MRIs, which have really altered, I think, the training of of medical trainees in that they are much more knowledgeable about those imaging and, and perhaps less skilled in physical exam, which has sort of gone more by the wayside with, with a lot of the imaging that, that, that comes along. And so I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about what kinds of changes in just the way our system operates, as opposed to AI coming in and augmenting the system that we have for all its flaws and, and advantages, um, how it might change what, what, what the way the system oper our healthcare system operates you know I'm, I'm glad you brought that up let me th let me um, pose a particular example which is that uh, there are uh, there are mental health chatbots at this point so it's not where where AI is sort of sitting on a clinician's shoulder helping me not miss a critical diagnosis it's rather somebody is and they know it just talking to it you know talking to a chatbot there's no human being involved there should be somebody monitoring there should be something trying to detect signs of suicidality so that they can convert it to a human interaction and get the get the chatbot out of there but you know you could sort of say well is this terrible because the chatbot is clearly going to have not as much capability as a human being or you could say, heck, we do not have enough mental health clinicians. And if somebody has a low level neurosis where they know they're talking to a machine, they know there's nobody, no human being witnessing the conversation, but where they get something useful out of it, and this keeps them out of the system so it keeps those human clinicians available for all the other people who need them, I don't know, Seems like it seems like that's okay. Um, again, you know, if you were the guild of mental health therapists, you you might say this is a terrible thing because this might mean there's less employment available. You know, for our mental health, our mental health therapist. The problem is again, we just don't have enough of them. So, uh, um, you know, so so being sure that we don't have chatbots because they're because they're inferior 
it might sound good, but it's it you know we end up with less social good because of it. Well, I, this has been so fascinating, Jeff. I, I think you, you've really uh, illuminated this topic for us. So I think we'd love to have you back another time, uh, perhaps uh, in another six months to a year as we see all this evolve. Uh, and I just want to uh, really thank you for, for joining uh, Bill and me, Quick and Quack, at Care Talk. Yeah, you've been listening to a conversation with Dr. Jeff levin from the Harvard School of Public Health. Uh, and Willis Towers Watson. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to uh, chatting again. Hey, thanks very much. Thanks for being with us. Thanks. We are back here at Care Talk with Quick and Quack. And Bill, that was a fascinating interview we just had. Uh, really, really appreciate the good friend, Dr. Jeff Levenshire, is talking to us about AI in healthcare. My head's spinning a little bit. We talked a little bit about current uses of AI, potential uses, uh, and also some of the concerns and risks. Uh, Bill, just want to get what what are your thoughts about our our conversation? Well, I'll tell you, Evan. Very shortly after we did that interview, I saw an article in the New York Times about an application of artificial intelligence uh, that's happening in Africa. I believe it's Senegal. There's a physician there, and she has developed a program to for for malaria. So malaria is something that uh, is very common in uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, and um, uh, in order to diagnose it, you have to look at a, a microscope slide, and it's very time-consuming to to examine these slides. And she's developed an interface where uh, the computer can do that and and scan many more slides for trying to find out who has malaria and it sounds really brilliant it's a, it's a she has a startup company that's getting going and uh, hopes to implement this she's going to be using uh, uh, what do you call those printers that 3D printer 3D printer yeah 3D printer is going to produce it so it, it can really automate that and that seems like a, a phenomenal use of artificial intelligence the interesting thing about that is that that's something that's happening not so much at the user interface where the patient interacts with the system. So uh, that's something that's sort of happening behind the scenes for a patient. Yeah. And, and one of the things that 
that you know concerns me about artificial intelligence is that is that working at the user interface you know in 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 an office setting where the patient and the healthcare system interact i really wonder what the impact is going to be of artificial intelligence on that because i think that what happens is a lot of times with advances in medicine that is not always in the forefront of what developers are thinking about they're thinking about efficiency they're thinking about cost they're thinking about how do we you know uh decrease errors and I guess th those things have impacts on the user interface but oftentimes the actual mechanics of how some a, a patient is going to interact with the system aren't really thought about when these advances are implemented in medicine. Yeah I, I agree with you Bill. I, I, I think we have to take this really slowly. I love your example. That's a great example how AI could really accelerate uh, diagnoses, uh, working behind the scenes. Uh, it's not at the physician-patient interface that we worry about. Uh, so I think that's a great example. Uh, another good example someone uh, talked to me about recently was the ability, you know, when a patient is seen and then they're, they're, they leave a primary care practice, let's say, and they come back, you know, a year later, and, but in the meantime, they've had a lot of interactions with the system and the primary care doctor now wants to know, well, what's happened to this patient? AI could summarize uh, all the interactions, the lab work, uh, the, the summaries of uh, other interactions with other doctors, and could really help the primary care doctor get up to speed quickly. That, that's another really good use of AI. I think when we start getting into more around the patient-doctor interface and the, the, the biases which can come into play, uh, other issues, I think we all get a little, a little bit concerned. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's true. And, and, you know, the example you talk about sounds really great. That's something that's very time-consuming when, when I'm seeing patients is to go back and, and, and integrate and figure out what's happened. But it's also something that is dependent on the quality of the information that's been entered into the medical record. And, uh, you know, and, and that, that quality can really vary and can make it really challenging. And, you know, I, I look at actually a lot of notes in, in, in medical charts that are, uh, partially computer generated, uh, where there are clinical reminders that pay, that 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 a provider has to click on and and enter information, and you end up with these long notes of of really virtually no information, and and I find myself scrolling through notes to find out where is the key information, and I just. Uh, you know, it would be great if artificial intelligence can hone in and find the key information. But I also worry that artificial intelligence may hone in and 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 pull out a lot of the the, the useless stuff in there That's as well, right. or, or focus you on something that is not relevant uh, based on its its understanding of of health and and medicine. That's uh, a challenging situation. Well, you know, I think that we've talked about this for a while and uh, I think it's something that we have to come back to because it's developing and uh, we'll look back on it in the future and I think we have some really pressing information in our our email folder so why don't we put aside the artificial intelligence for right now and go to some of our listener intelligence that sounds great Bill let's take a quick break Oh, the lonely days are gone. 
Bill, that was Joe Cocker, the letter. Perfect introduction to our uh, email section of our show. Uh, so, you know, Bill, we've been having a great time doing this show, and we're starting to get some fan mail. Uh, those of us, uh, those of you out there would like to email, it's caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org. Uh, and, uh, Bill, wh- what do we got? Well, we've got uh, an email from one of our listeners out in California, Alex in San Francisco. And he says, Woohoo! I subscribed to the podcast app, so I will never miss an episode. We're glad to hear that. And he goes on to say, I also have a question. Why, when you go to the doctor, do you never quite know how much it's going to cost you? Oh, no. Why can't the doctor's office or hospital or whatever tell you the price before you start getting care? Is that just taboo or thought of as tacky or what? Now, Evan, I know you're going to have a really good, intelligent answer for this, but I'm just going to give the short answer first. And I think that the short answer is because those people haven't got a clue what it's going to (laughs) cost. I think you're right, Bill. I think uh, the doctor has no idea. Uh, But let's unpack this a little bit. Why doesn't the doctor have any idea? Well, as you know from our listening to our first couple shows, we talked about the history of the U.S. healthcare system, and we started, you know, with uh, developing health insurance really early, and health insurance turned into this industry where it became very fractured. Each insurance company can decide how much it's going to pay, what its relationship will be to the doctor, how much the the person, the patient needs to pay in terms of copay, coinsurance, deductibles. Uh, and so for each patient with a different health plan going to a doctor, th- what they pay, the the provider has no idea. You know, this reminds me of a short story by Ray Bradbury called Fahrenheit 451. I think that I think it was Fahrenheit 451 where uh it, it might have been a different story but but the the gist of it was that that nobody could do math anymore because everybody had calculators it was written back in the 50s I guess and everybody had a calculator and nobody believed that there was such a thing as math. If you wanted to know what 27 plus 84 was, you put it into a calculator and it would tell you the answer. And, and then there's a child in the story who suddenly realizes that she can come up with the correct answer every time and predict what the calculator is going to say. And, and, and nobody can believe that, that this person actually knows what it is. But I feel like that's sort of what's happened with our healthcare costs. It's like this stuff gets plugged into these different programs and it depends on what your insurance is and it depends on, you know, you, you may have a different copay and, 
and, and, and something may be covered by, by one insurance and not by another insurance, and the, the coverage can be different. So nobody has any idea what it's going to be until it spits out the other end of the computer and you get a bill a month later. Yeah, and this, this really is the complexity of the U.S. healthcare system. Uh, one of the things I think Bill will talk about in our next show are some recommendations that I think you and I uh, have put together of how do we begin to fix the healthcare system. One of those recommendations is going to focus on decreasing the complexity of, of insurance. Uh, and right now we have this system which is so confusing uh, at the private insurance market in particular very very difficult to navigate patients have no idea what they're paying uh, and are very frustrated when they see these co-insurance and co-pays and deductibles those are three separate uh, approaches to all have the patient pay pay more uh, and then the providers are saying we don't get this either we're just trying to take good care of our patients and they're very frustrated complicated situation but I'll tell you I have a little toolkit that I carry around in my car for repairs and I'm really thrilled to know that next week we're going to get to like repair the healthcare system and, and I'll, I'll bring my toolkit in and we can just like fix it up next week and should be all set after that I am sure uh, our uh, listeners can't can't wait to hear <laughs> Bill and Evan quick and quack uh, recommendations for the we US healthcare, the healthcare system. system okay uh, Bill did we get any other letters uh, we got uh, we have a, 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 a fan right nearby in Northampton uh, Joanna, who says, uh, don't know how you do it. The Beatles song, You Won't See Me, now sounds like it was written for people searching for a doctor. All of it fits. Loving the show. Uh, I was just looking up info about the Medicare Advantage programs, tuned in, and you're talking about health insurance. So thank you for that, for that feedback. We're glad you're enjoying the music. But, but the music is something that we need to have a little conversation about. Uh, and we're hoping to include our listeners in this conversation because we've been getting some feedback that says the music is great. We've been getting feedback that says too much music. The songs are too long. And what do we do here? Well, first of all, Bill, I think you know we've had a lot of fun choosing the music, trying to find music that is relevant not only to health and health care, but music that could be relevant to that particular topic. Uh, thank you, uh, our last uh, email, for uh, appreciating the, the, the Beatles song uh, and when we were talking about physicians' shortage. Uh, so... You know, and yet at the same time, we realize too much music. You know, people may uh, walk away. We may lose a, a, the attention of the the listener, the podcast listener, or the radio show listener. Um, so I think you know we need to find a happy medium. Still curate some great songs, but maybe we can shorten shorten the time the songs are on. We, we'd love we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. Care talk at valleyfreeradio.org. That's the email. That's what we need to hear from you. Care talk at valleyfreeradio.org. Uh, let us know your thoughts, your questions about healthcare, and your thoughts about about music on the show. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you.
right, Bill, I was finishing up there with the letter by Joe Cocker, I think really apt as we discuss our emails. Uh, speaking of emails, Bill, um, I thought it'd be fun to engage our growing listening audience with a new tradition. Well, why don't we say a, a, an occasional tradition? An occasional tradition. Okay, what is it? The, the Care Talk Puzzler. The Care Talk Puzzler. All right. All right. What have you got? And, uh, you know, I'll, we'll try to make these things related to health care. But uh, I, I have a puzzler for today. And maybe our listeners could, could email us uh, at caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org. So this is the puzzler, Bill. I'm ready. So you go into a doctor's office. You're waiting to see the doctor. And in the room with you, it's a very small room, there's a table. And there's a mirror on the wall. A table in the room and a mirror. Okay, yeah. And suddenly you hear the door lock. I hear the door lock. And you're like, oh my gosh, I am trapped in this doctor's office. Trapped in the waiting room? This sounds like a a familiar scene. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Sounds like like a, a familiar nightmare. Yeah. Trapped in the doctor's office in a room that has a mirror and a table. How... Will you escape from this room? I'm in a locked room with a mirror and a table, and how will I escape? And if I know the answer, I can send that to caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org. That's it. That's our that's our new Care Talk puzzler for this week. So we'd love folks to uh, think about the answer, and, and please email us. All right. Looking forward to it. I just want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Care Talk on... WXOJLP Northampton. Uh, we broadcast over the airwaves at 103.3, and you can find the show in the archives at valleyfreeradio.org, and you can hear our podcast wherever you get your great podcasts. Yeah, I, Bill, well, we are available now on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And also, if you went to the valleyfreeradio.org website to the shows page, uh, you'll see under Care Talk uh, a list of our shows and also a link to our podcast. So wherever you get your podcasts, you should be able to hear Care Talk with Quick and Quack. And for those of you who are like me and love radio, I want to just talk about valleyfreeradio.org, WXOJ. That we have a lot of other great shows on uh, Mondays from 4 to 5 p.m. and Fridays from 7 to 8 p.m. You can hear civil politics, a lot about the local politics scene here in uh, Northampton, and it may well be relevant to your your uh, issues in other parts of the country as well. And, and Bill, you know what? Just one thing to sh- throw out there related to WXOJLP. Uh, last week we had a very successful fund drive. Keeping this radio station going is really a fantastic opportunity for our community. Uh, we There's great shows, great music, uh, and great ideas being thrown out on the airwaves. Uh, and if you didn't get a chance to donate last week during our fund drive, please, please go to our website uh, at uh, valleyfreeradio.org. Yeah, I believe uh, the donate button is still there. It's still there. And please, do whatever you can, to thank, thank, to have this wonderful station here. Thank you all.
Well, that wraps up another fantastic episode. You've been listening to Care Talk with Quick and Quack on WXOJLP. As always, our email, caretalk at valleyfreeradio.org. You can catch our show on WXOJLP Northampton. If you're in the greater Northampton area, you can tune in on the radio at 103.3 FM. You can also find it on the web at valleyfreeradio.org. Or you can tune in to the podcast. While there are many Care Talk podcasts out there, we are the only one with Quick and Quack. This show would not be possible without the staff and facility here at WXOJLP Northampton. You can learn more about WXOJLP at valleyfreeradio.org. And please visit that donate button. We also have a very robust staff here at Care Talk with Quick and Quack who always have our back. We've got our malpractice attorney, Heidi Evidence. <laughs> we have our director of efficiency, Artie Dunn. And our audio engineer, Kent Erdat. <laughs> I love that. Uh, we have our director of telephonic complaints, Don Answer. Oh, right. And, and don't forget our czar of political correctness, Diddy Sadat. In addition, we sometimes need some clinical support here. We have a fantastic clinical consulting staff. How about our, from gastroenterology, Isabel E. Tender? Or from surgery, Anita Cut. Anita Cut. Uh, from urology, Lee King. And homeopathy, Les Ismore. That's Dr. Dr. Les Ismore. Uh, psychiatry, Freedom Mind. And our chief diagnostic consultant for those very difficult clinical situations, Hanno Idear. Thank you all for joining us once again on Care Talk with Quick and Quack. And we'll see you all and hear you all next week. Thanks for listening.